Welcome to CyberCast, decoding today's cyber issues. I'm your host, Sarah Seibert, and today we're joined by Ken Myers, Director of the Identity Assurance and Trusted Access Division at GSA, and Ross Ford, IT Specialist at CISA, who will dive into the world of privileged identity. Privileged identity management gives users the ability to control, manage, and monitor the access privileges that people and devices have to critical resources within an organization, including files, user accounts, documentation, application code, databases, security systems, and more. GSA and CISA recently released its Privileged Identity Playbook at the end of September, which will help federal agencies implement and manage a privileged user management function as part of an overall ICAM program. Myers and Ford will discuss the implications of privileged identity and discuss how it fits into broader security architectures like Zero Trust and ICAM. Thank you both for joining me today. Pleasure. Pleasure. So why a privileged identity playbook? How do privileged identities fit within Zero Trust? Yeah, I mean, I'll hear this first question, then I'll, I'll ask Ross a quick question. So why a privileged identity playbook? I mean, when we look at the FICAM architecture and just at the uh, risks to our systems today, uh, privileged users uh, are a unique user type that perform security-related duties. And that means they can impact the confidentiality uh, impact or the integrity and availability of a system more so than a general user. So a general user, think of uh, your everyday employee, they have access to email, maybe they log into various other applications and they can't alter any of the security functions. They can't create accounts, they can't export large sets of data, they can't take an application offline. And so that's why a privileged user is so important. Uh, how it fits within Zero Trust is that uh, from that same context, Right. If we're if we're implementing modern security practices and we're keeping our systems online to de deliver our federal mission, a privileged user has a special type of access, a special type of privilege that could take that system offline. It could uh, Im impact how agencies deliver their missions. What do you think, Ross? Yeah, I agree. And, I, you know, I'll say that one of the things that that zero trust architectures want to do is they want to make risk they want to make risk based decisions right so when you make an access control decision you need to consider the the resource that you're trying to access and the the role that you're trying to perform when you're accessing that resource right to make and make the appropriate decision and so that really kind of raises the bar in regards to privileged users in the, in the past, we've thought about privilege users, administrators, kind of in a binary way. You're either a privilege user or not. You're not right because we really haven't had the controls that you can be uh, more granular than that. But with a zero trust architecture, you you should be able to ha have the ability to make more more granular decisions. Uh, an example of that would be if you're an administrator for a high value asset, you probably should you know if if that is your role then. You shouldn't be, an, a, say, a global administrator that can do every work, everything else, right? Or, you know, if you do need to have privileges to do other things, that should probably be limited because your primary uh, job function is to be, you know, an administrator on this given asset. And and if, you're if your organization needs you to do more, then they would elevate that, that privilege and probably do it just for a period of time. Right, that makes a lot of sense. So what are some of the top takeaways from the playbook? Yeah, I would say a first top takeaway is just uh, managing your privileged users is a critical agency function <clears throat> because these users have an elevated access, 
Um, they, there's the potential for doing unwanted behavior that could have a significant uh, compromise on agency assets or operations. So understanding that insider risk classification um, and aligning your insider risk programs to also include privileged users is, is a major um, takeaway from the playbook. Uh, additionally, a big one that Ross and I talk about all the time is decreasing your attack surface. So if we look at uh, a, um, privilege escalation is a major uh, attack pattern. And privilege escalation is that an adversary is able to get onto a system and then they're able to find an account and gain higher privileges to perform those security functions. So that's an example of a privilege escalation. And one of the takeaways from this playbook is that to decrease the potential for privilege escalation by identifying your privilege users and privilege accounts, uh, controlling them and managing them correctly, and then doing that on an ongoing basis. Uh, one, of the, one of the specific uh, takeaways from this playbook is have a privilege user champion. So agencies can choose uh, an advocate for the program so that there's one person in charge, uh, they make sure they have executive support, and that's built in as an enterprise-wide function to it. Yeah, that's great to hear. Ross, is there anything you would like to add? Yeah, I think I would say, I want to talk about the, you know, in the playbook, uh, Ken talks about different use cases. And and the program I'm on, the CDM program, uh, we have a real interest in, in privileged users. The first uh, set of task orders we did under the CDM program in what we call phase two at the time, which now we call it an identity and access management capability, but initially we call it phase two. It was about user management and privilege user management was the first task order that we did. So Ken breaks down the, the use cases, you know, for administrators that manage IT infrastructure, and then help desk personnel and, and that you know perform uh, they get escalated privileges to perform a certain help desk function at times you know when you call in and you 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 need help with your server they'll escalate their privileges on your desktop they'll go help you fix it and then they'll they'll stop doing that right because they don't no longer need to be in that and then he talks about managers as you just said and that's that's really important because you need to have managers to be able to oversee and have responsibility for the workers that are doing the administrative work right. So in the CDM program, we focus pretty exclusively so far on that first set of administrators. So it's administrators that have what we call infrastructure impact. These are the most powerful administrators, and we've been primarily looking at the network environment and on-premise so far. Not exclusively, but that's been our primary focus because that has been a real avenue of attack over the past few years. And so we've been really targeting that. And, and the privilege... Uh, identity uh, playbook has really helped me because it does a lot of things to explain all the different aspects of privilege identity management. Something that's hard for me to do when I'm just doing implementations at agencies, right? And particularly since we're focused on a, on a more narrow part of that than I, than, you know, privilege identity uh, ecosystem. Right, yeah, that's awesome. Um, sounds like a great strategy. Uh, so you mentioned that you're on the CDM program. I'd like to dive a little deeper into CISA's role in the playbook. So where do you fit in? Well, Ken and I have a really great uh, working relationship, uh, and 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 it needs to be that way because uh, for CDM, we've always been going to uh, the FICAM and the other kind of subcommittee 
as as the people that express the overall fracking architecture. Axiom can't be an agency's ICAM service delivery. What we want to do is help agencies meet their ICAM goals with some of the capabilities that we can bring to bear. And uh, and so you know the, even from before CDM started to do their identity and access management capabilities. People from the ICAM subcommittee and the FICAM office worked with, with uh, CDM in, in developing uh, the architecture and uh, the, the information model that we want to be bringing into CDM, right? So it's been a really close uh, collaboration. I'll say that as this has become an agency, uh, we've expanded our collaboration with, uh, with GSA uh, overall, right? There's other. There are now other programs at CISA uh, that work with the the FICAM uh, office and the ICAM subcommittee uh, as we kind of try to move lockstep, working together to to uh, get our message out. Sometimes CISA publishes things. Sometimes the, the FICAM office publishes things. But it's all of us publishing things that are consistent with one another, as to not confuse you know the the you know the agencies very much. And and CISA also, you know, we don't just address the federal government. In CISA, we have critical infrastructure and, and you know, sectors that we try to help address. And so CISA will often publish documents will be targeted at a, at a vertical. And we try to be consistent even then, right? So that it's not targeted to the government, it's targeted another sector. But we try to be consistent in what messaging we're giving because we're all in this same uh, threat environment right now. Right. Yeah. So you led us perfectly into our next question. Uh, it sounds like CISA and GSA have a great relationship. So how does cross-agency collaboration as a whole improve cybersecurity across government? I'll just say, I mean, each agency is tasked with the same requirements. So if you look at <clears throat> OMB Memo 2209, the Federal Zero Trust Strategy, it doesn't call out specific agencies. It doesn't want you know, GSA do something specific and uh, DOJ do something different, right? Everyone has the same requirements. <clears throat> so collaboration and government-wide collaboration is really where we all come together and make sure that we have a common understanding of what the requirements are. And then we're moving together, uh, we're moving forward together. And that's really where the ICAM subcommittee, I mean, the great collaboration that we have with with Ross and the CDM team amongst, you know, other, other people at CISA <clears throat> is that we're able to, work together, identify the different levels. Like the FICAM architecture is kind of a broader enterprise, kind of uh, lining up technology with strategic goals. And then specifically the CDM program, it's a uh, solution architecture. So it's specifically how an agency can implement tools to do it. And so is a nice alignment there uh, between them. Well, what, what do you think, Ross? Yeah, I agree. And, and I'll say that uh, there, there are there are a lot of areas of uh, of cross collaboration on my program on within CIS, I'll say in general, um, but within the CDM program as well. Even the way we structured our delivery mechanism is collaborating across different agencies. So CDM is we have different groups. The way we deliver the CDM capabilities through groups, and these groups are agencies that are similar in their size and similar in their functions, right? So some are really large agencies, some are smaller agencies. And then for the smallest of the agencies, we have a group Defend F, which is very small agencies, right? And in that regard, because it is so, because there's, these agencies are, are so, so much smaller in size, 
we offer a shared service for them, which helps them get the benefits of, of CDM capabilities where they wouldn't be able to do that otherwise because they simply don't have the staff that can implement those capabilities. So we implement it and operate those capabilities along with them. Now, uh, I'll also say that uh, you know we all collaborate outside of our own, the federal government too, right? I mean, we work with external groups. Uh, I mean, ATARC is one of the, uh, the, the, the industry efforts that the federal government is doing. Uh, and, you know, there's many different folks that participate on ATARC. I know I, I'm often speaking at uh, ACT IAC and other, other organizations to help get our message out. And through those, uh, those collaborations, we get information in. And, and the other thing I want to talk about collaboration is not just across the agencies, but with these with the vendor community, right? So CDM and most agencies get their their capabilities through vendors, and and we have to have open dialogues with those vendors to express the things we need, and that and for them to tell us the things that that they, they can they can deliver for us, right? So that is that's really important, and then agencies share that information as well. When an agency has a good experience with an, implementing a certain capability with a vendor, we try to share that information across the, the, the federal uh, civilian executive branch so that other people can, can gain from that, from that information. Yeah, that's a great explanation. So Ken, in your last response, you mentioned the alignment between CDM and FICAM. I'd like to dive a little deeper into that crossover. So uh, what is the intersection of CDM and the FICAM architecture? Yeah, I'll say from the uh, FICAM architecture perspective, it is an, a technology and vendor agnostic enterprise architecture. So it identifies kind of broad uh, capabilities. And actually, this is one collaboration that CISA and uh, my office are working on, is how can we be more specific? Like I've mentioned um, a couple of times that the FICAM architecture has five focus areas now that align with the Federal Zero Trust Strategy. And those five areas are identity lifecycle management. And you'll, you'll see some alignment here. Uh, between these focus areas and CDM as well. Uh, identity lifecycle management, CDM has their master user record. Uh, we have uh, single sign-on as a second one, privileged, uh, privileged identity, that what we're talking about today. Uh, user authorization is one area that we're working on. Um, and the last area is multiple types of uh, phishing-resistant authenticators. And so again, kind of it sets kind of broad, broad direction to help agencies understand the context of what they're trying to do. Um, so that they can look to programs like CDM and what tools and capabilities they need specifically uh, to implement. Would, uh, would you agree with that, Ross? Yes, I would. And I'd say that we, you know, the, the, the federal ICAM architecture is, is uh, like I said, a generalized architecture, but CDM looks at that architecture and we make decisions um, based upon feedback, information we get from OMB, from, from the ICAM subcommittee, from our own signals across agencies that CDM has about what they what agencies need CDM to provide service capabilities for next, right? So ICAM is a really big, broad area, and every agency has a responsibility for operating their own ICAM services. But CDM can help with targeted capabilities in that, right? And uh, and so as I think right now, one of the big, uh, the you know, most highest interest things are describing other multi-sector authentications other than the PIV card. 
And so CDM is watching to see what comes out of agencies working in that area, doing pilots, whether it's through ATARC, whether it's through the ICAM subcommittee sponsoring projects. And once we get a, a signal about these are, the, these are the kind of authenticators that the government wants to use, and these are how we want those to be described, then CDM will modify our data model so that we can incorporate the, that information and make it easier for agencies to report that information up to CDM dashboard and, and, and run their reports that they can give maybe to help them with the FISMA compliance. So, uh, but we, you know, we're not going to lead in that. We will watch as, as, as agencies and the, the FICAM uh, community kind of converges on these things. And then they may ask CDM to help with this, right? It may be one of the signals that CDM gets is we really need to help with either monitoring that information or providing services around that. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so we may have talked to this one uh, to its extent already, but I'll pose it anyway. Uh, so what are some of the best practices in protecting privileged access? What should agencies strive for? I can, I can mention a couple from the playbook. Um, so there's actually kind of five best practices from the playbook. First one, just define who your privileged users are. And that also means creating a common definition of that. I mean, Ross had mentioned there's kind of three, and in the playbook, there's like three general types of privileged users. You have your IT or traditional IT admins. They may have different, different job titles or different names in the system, global admin, uh, help desk admin, really admin is the key there. Uh, the second type of uh, second type of privilege users is a, is a help desk admin. That's where that privilege escalation case comes in. So the use case that's actually in the playbook is that you, know, you have a, a general user with their laptop, and maybe they click on a fishy link, and now they have some malware. Um, they have something funky going on in their laptop. They put in a help desk ticket. That help desk admin now logs into that device, and that malware is able to steal that credential. So. That's another uh, attack surface that needs to be protected. And the third, third type of privilege user is, um, is managers. There's, and there's different types of managers. It's managers that could approve a privileged user account, uh, depending on the risk appetite of the agency. It could be uh, managers that approve like high-risk financial transactions. They need additional controls around this. So it's really important to define your privileged users. Uh, second, uh, second best practice is identify where all those privileged users and accounts uh, exist, right? The complexity of, of agency systems have uh, exploded over the last couple of years where it's no longer just an on-premise, maybe Microsoft or Linux environment. Now you have maybe disconnected cloud environments and maybe you're operating some multi-cloud. So you need to identify all the platforms envir environments where these privileged accounts exist. Um, and that really rolls into the next, uh, the next best practice is uh, identifying those agency-wide identity controls and then prioritizing based on those risks, right? Where are your highest risk users and your highest risk data and prioritize those. Uh, just the last best practice. And we have we have a, a diagram in the playbook that it's like an iceberg diagram. Your human users are like the top part, maybe it's a, a small part of the iceberg. And really on the bottom part are your, your non-person entities. So non-person entities, think about all of the, the non-people uh, that have access to your data. It could be devices, servers connecting, it could be API keys, um, SSH keys, public key infrastructure keys, um, secrets. It's really anything that has access to that data that can impact it, which is communication channels, being able to uh, export it. Um, <clears throat> those are the five kind of main, main best practices from the playbook. Uh, did, I, did I miss any, Ross? No, you didn't. And, and then, 
Uh, Sarah, this is a good place for me to mention that, like for CDM, we we targeted much more narrow of all that that, that definition, right? So, like I mentioned earlier, CDM is primarily targeting you know infrastructure impacting administrators that can have broad uh, effect on the network. But we but still, you still have to define those who those users are, right? And we need to identify all the users that are are that and and other kind of privileged users. So in the master user record that that CDM is implementing, and you know you can put a flag on for privileged users, even if it doesn't fill into the category of one of those infrastructure impacting privileged users. So the agency can know that this is a privileged user, uh, and can run reports in accordance with that. And then implementing the privilege controls, uh, there, there's lots of ways to implement uh, privileged user management, right? And so CDM has provided some tools and help with this, you know, using these privilege access management tools that consist of a vault and the way you can get access to a secret after you've logged in to get the credentials out of a vault with your, your strong authentication, your smart guy. So it's just one of the kind of tools that you have to help with that. And then I'll say that over the last few years, part of the collaboration with the the ICANN uh, C and other agencies. We had agencies ask us about expanding uh, CDM capabilities to incorporate non-person entities, right? And so, uh, while there are a lot of non-person entities that in the world, and CDM can't do them all, we have been helping agencies that that where they're managing uh, non-person entities, whether it's robotic process automation or just some process service that is interacting with an important system that we can use the PAM tools that we have. They have capabilities for programmatically injecting secrets in, into the exchange when, when two teams need to talk to each other, two systems need to talk to each other. And we've had some agencies uh, moving in that direction and we're happy to help with that where we can. So uh, yeah, it's, it, you know, it's a really broad set of use cases for privileged user management, and we try to help fulfill where we can, uh, where agencies have really urgent need. Right. Well, I look forward to watching how agencies uh, take those and run with it. So now that you've published, what's next? Um, how are you approaching implementation and what are some of your new upcoming goals or benchmarks? I'll say there are two uh, two things we're we're looking forward to. I mean, number one, just number one, um, continued collaboration with CISA, whether that's Ross and CDM. I mean, Grant Dasha uh, and CISA, um, but it's just it, it's much easier. It's much easier getting the best practices together and then sharing them when you're doing it someone rather than just doing it either doing it ourselves or or forming a working group to do it. But two committed two committed partners in this, and so uh, Ross has been a been a fantastic ride so far. <laughs> Looking forward to the the next step. So, and in one area specific to the playbook is it has a NIST 853 Ref5 overlay, and so based on that, we're gonna we're trying to get feedback from agencies. Is this useful? Do we need to modify it? And also OSCO, which is a machine readable. Uh, we could create an OSCAL version, which is a machine readable version of the overlay. If there's enough uh, agency input on that. Uh, we may convert it. We may convert it to help uh, support support that. What about you, Ross? Yeah, you know, I mean, I it's 
difficult for me to predict what seating will be doing next because it, we we operate on the demand signal that OMB and you know agencies give us right to what to do next, and we are transitioning our contracts from the, the defend to to another set of contracts coming after. So I'm sure that those demand signals will be taken into consideration as to what CDM is going to do next. But I will say I'll I'll, I'll follow on to what Ken just said. You know we are looking at things. Uh, OSC, I've had some discussions with people at NIST that were defining OSCO, and we're thinking about how we can take some of that information into CDM, and as well as other information. CDM is, we don't just do ICAM. It's a small part of what CDM does, right? There's a lot of information and signals that the CDM program takes in for the agency dashboards, and then helping agencies work across the entire ecosystem of the federal government. So there's a lot of directions we could go, but I think OSCAL is an interesting one where we help bring a control language that is machine readable. And that is really the kind of stuff that CDM loves, right? We like to get automated signals that are machine readable so that you're looking at actual data when you're trying to consider the condition, the security posture of an agency in the environment. And that goes for users, devices, you know, uh, software assets, the whole thing. We we like to be able to get information that comes from the systems so that we can make real uh, real decisions. Yeah. Yeah, that's great to hear and exciting times. Congratulations to you both on uh, the playbook and your progress. And I look forward to watching uh, where you take it from here. Thanks. Hey, thank you. To read the Privileged Identity Playbook, visit playbooks.idmanagement.gov backslash playbooks backslash PAM. To learn more about CISA's CDM program, visit cisa.gov backslash CDM. Thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you in the next episode. Cybercast, along with GovCast and HealthCast, is a production of GovCIO Media and Research. For more podcasts and to check out the other shows, head to govciomedia.com. Watch out for new episodes released every Tuesday and Wednesday across our shows. You can follow all of them in your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, make sure to let us know by leaving a review. And if you have any topics you think we should look into, contact us at newsletter at gcio.com.